Hello and welcome to Centrist Dads. My name is Adam Radford. Joining me all the way from Newcastle on the line is Alex Najad. Hello. And joining all the way from Sambach, Mr. Kieran Seymour. Bonjour. Parish councils in your neck of the woods have been in the news in the last couple of weeks. Jackie Weaver has been involved with Sandbach Town Council in some form. Now you're just name dropping Kieran. I know, yeah. Just trying to get in Jackie Weaver references. Yeah. But for, because we've we've had a, a few more listens from further afield in the UK this last couple of weeks. Could could you explain, Alex, what happened in this chaotic exchange? It was summed up basically with uh, a point of order trying to be made. And Jackie Weaver, who was the chair of the meeting, is that correct? Yeah, but she, wasn't she brought in as an emergency chair? Uh, and the right? vice and the vice chair was getting rather irritable, and it was just essentially just broken out into a a bar room or Zoom brawl with um, a lot of people from what should we a, a vicar of Di- a vicar of Dibley style cast. I love it. It's everything about Wendy Wendy House politics that I absolutely adore. It's wonderful, and I, 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 I'm looking forward to the day, Kieran, when when your council meetings go viral. Oh, you never know. Yeah. I'm well, sure there'll be one or two things. It happen. could happen. Alex, what have you been up to in the last the last fortnight aside from watching um, Hamforth Parish Council meetings? That was a hell of a Friday evening. This week, <laughs> I, this week I've been undertaking my Prince Two Foundation and Practitioner training which has been a very, very heavy week of content, which has really just kind of gone through one ear and gone out the other. Just a shed load of information that I just... I, I mean, I had to do some practice papers today, and I don't know if I've passed them or not. I can't bring myself to mark them. So, um, yeah, that's basically been my week. What What is the content? Like, what is the stuff about? Basically, project management certification, but it's a very sort of old... It's like the, the standard certification but it's very old old and outdated principles it's just it's just it's very stuffy i hope in about a month i'll be able to at least say i've passed some of the training it's all moving in the right direction isn't it so long as you can see something productive that's happened with your day there's always you can go to bed feeling like oh okay i've I've actually not been a slob today oh don't get me wrong don't get me wrong i wish i was playing halo um on repeat (laughs) basically that's what i basically wish i was doing but no i thought i'd be productive instead and still debating whether it's worth it or not i ended up completing homeworld one and homeworld two in the last fortnight which were games from my childhood and it's a a real-time strategy in space the the graphics and the gameplay was absolutely mind-blowing at the time when when i was 12 and it's was that 1988 adam was that when you were 12 (laughs) (laughs) order you am i Am I am I the oldest? Am I older than you, Kieran? I can't remember. Uh, no, I believe I'm older. I think eleventh of the tenth, nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, you were the oldest. Yeah, you were the oldest. Yeah. So I can't but really like that joke. Yeah, for it, but you go for it anyway. But you are you are the only dad here, so. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, oldest by age and oldest by a receding hairline. Thank you, child. <laughs> So when Jensen hears this in um, a couple of years' time, I say a couple of years, in a few, quite a few years' time. If he's listening to a political podcast about the intricacies of the UK and international politics in work by the age of four and a half, I think I've completed it being a dad. 
we've had a few more a few more listeners from from around the world we've had listeners in texas we've had listeners in france point and answer still remains number one listener in point and answer whoever you are mm. i'm i'll be gutted if it's just a vpn <laughs> it's, it's not really somebody in Fuentenanza. I, I got some feedback as well from um, a friend of mine who listens to the podcast, oh, yeah? uh, Lee, and he said that he really enjoyed the podcast because uh, we don't we use uh, we do use nice vocabulary. It's not too over the top to be uh, a naughty word, but just enough to appreciate some nice words. So basically, we're not being arrogant, Order. you know, snobs and using posh language or alienating people. Just doing a good job. So yeah, some nice feedback there. That's nice. Was that was his name Lee? Did you say? Yes. Oh, thanks, Lee. I always think of myself as having quite a restricted vocabulary. So that is, I'm very smug for people to be saying we have nice vocabulary. Maybe I'm riding on the coattails of the pair of you. I find that there's, there's quite a few topics, politics being one of them, where people gatekeep. Do you know what I mean? Like it's some like mm. oh, if you don't if you don't know the the I don't know the outcome of the nineteen whatever general election, then you don't know what you're talking about. And or people conflating having a, a strong opinion with being well informed, mm. which is frustrating and, and quite prevalent. It's just it's just nice to have a conversation rather than just a slanging match. I think. Because mm. most of what we see on the, the dregs of message boards, social media, I think the worst is the mail comment section. Oh. I don't know why I do it. it. It's the equivalent of you know when the milk's gone off. Do you have? Do you guys have the urge to still <laughs> smell yeah, the milk? Yeah. <laughs> Just check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not going to use the milk. It's practically crawling away, but I'm still going to smell it in the bottle. And that's, I don't know why I do it. It's and, like the call of the void. It's the same reaction when you read the mail comments, isn't it? You instantly just gag. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh, this is, this is, this is not good by, by and large. Anyway, let us, gentlemen, let us go uh, into something which is far, far more upbeat, uh, climate change. Well, hopefully more upbeat. I thought I was dripping with sarcasm there, but well, we, we we've got um, the UK's hosting the COP this yeah. year, the, the the international meeting on on, on climate change, because you know this is definitely the meeting that does it, because you know the old saying, twenty sixth time lucky. <laughs> the the summit which the, the Tories and and Labour to different degrees are, are sort of complicit in the making of that could kind of to steal a phrase from Malcolm Tucker, order the chances to death of a suitable outcome yeah so obviously a massive year for climate change especially now biden's in this is the most important meeting on climate ever i would say far more important than the one when the paris agreement was met uh, made because i think there is generally now awareness amongst the public um that that this needs to get sorted and not just the public but businesses as well business is suddenly starting to realize Hang on a minute. The planet's pretty. Order. If the planet's Order. our business is, and then all of a sudden, sorry, that was a lot of uh, f words there. Sorry, Alice. sorry. Burko will speak over them. Don't worry. Yeah, and obviously, as soon as businesses start to realise that um, they're they're in trouble, then uh, and profits are going to be affected, then they start listening. So that's good in a sense. However, the uh, we're we're pretty we're in a pretty bad position. We're getting to that point of what what scientists refer to as the tipping point on a, on a lot of environmental factors and that's irreversible 
you can't do anything about it. You go past the tipping point, and once you pass the tipping point, that's it. You can't do anything about it. Mm. So it's a huge, huge year for climate change, and it's got so much promise. Obviously, we're hosting the, the COP later this year. We need to be seen to set an, setting an example, especially post-Brexit. This is why we did Brexit, to be a world leader and influence the world and show what a mighty power we are. What better issue is there to do that on than climate change? And I don't know how it's going to play out yet. I really don't. Johnson's come out of this point, you know, we'll have no um, carbon emitting cars by 2030, fully electric, as ever with Boris Johnson. You know, love, love that idea. Great. Let's do it. But where's the strategy? How's that happening? What are we going to do to achieve that? This is my fear, I think. You know, we it, Johnson and, and the Tory government will come out with all these wonderful, um, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, but then nothing happens. And as we've seen with COVID, you know, that doesn't wash. You know, you've got to actually do stuff. It's you, You're not London Mayor anymore. It doesn't work. Mm. You've got to follow through with actual strategy and, and, dis, and a plan to make it happen. And then, so you've got that side of it, but then you've got the side of it that's been in the news recently, that um, we are trying to build a coal mine in Cumbria. I was baffled by this. How on earth can we leave the, the climate conference in November this year, telling the world and telling other leaders, you need to be getting renewable energy, getting renewable sources, but then we have a, a we, we've built a Order. coal plant. It's absurd. So, it's insane. Point of interjection. The mine is going to supply um, the steel industry in the UK. Yeah. The government's climate advisory, climate change committee, um, said that 85% of this coal will be exported anyway. And every tonne of coal on the world market will tend to drive the cost of coal down, making it cheaper to, to burn and sort of and affecting any sort of efficiency drives and, and so on. And that by 2035, steel firms in the UK have to stop burning coal anyway. They're already looking to invest in cleaner production technology. The UK, in terms of producing coal from coal for electricity, it's got three more years to phase that out. And the UK will almost certainly achieve that, something which started with Thatcher, actually, phasing out the coal mines, although she was not doing it for environmental reasons. <laughs> Let's avoid the rest that, of that. Thatcher was the, the Gwenatunberg of the 80s. <laughs> We're going to get that on T-shirts when we, when we have a Patreon. <laughs> so there's this, this mine that was that was approved by a Labour-led administration. Yeah, that's a really important point, Adam. I don't want to seem like mm. I'm just Tory bashing because Labour, it was a Labour council that approved this. Really important point. My understanding was the, the council approved it for the economic arguments because proponents say it's going to create 500 jobs. That figure has been attacked as being wildly inflated, even by the government's own scrutiny committees. So the Labour Council came under a huge amount of flack. They've announced that they're going to revisit the planning application for it. They haven't said which way it's going to go. At the end of the day, the government can overrule it. So there's been pressure on Robert Jenrick to put his foot down and, and he, he can put his foot down either way and stop it or give it the government's blessing, presumably then taking the heat off of this Labour Council. But it looks like we've got both the Labour Party in the local context and the Conservative Party in, in seeming to be in favour of this coal mine. It's it's so bizarre. And, I, you know, I don't buy this argument that it's going to supply jobs to the region, build renewable energy sources. They'll actually probably end up supplying far more jobs for the region. The site for the proposed coal mine is really close to um, the Sellafield nuclear power plant, mm. which is costing UK taxpayers through the 
knows to mm. get a new nuclear power station built. There are a few people that seem to be arguing that n- nuclear is not going to be part of the future energy makeup of, of the UK. Um, you know, France runs 80% on nuclear power and the rest on hydro. And they've been doing Does that it? for years. Yeah. That. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you can. Uh, there are one of the things that um, I found when I was um, study. I studied an, an environmental degree. Um, one of the things that I found really cool is you can see uh, live up to the minute data on the French grid and the UK grid mm. on the sources of electricity. And uh, yeah, so France has been doing it for a long time. They sell electricity to us. They sell electricity to their other neighbours because it's really difficult to increase or decrease the amount of energy that a nuclear power station is generating. That's what hydro is for. It's quite easy to generate more, generate less. Yeah. Like you said, now is the moment. Now is the time. We've got a progressive leader of the free world who take who first off accepts that climate change is, is happening and accepts <laughs> the science, which I never thought would be a major thing but here we are (laughs) and and is willing to work internationally on this and also domestically as a way of sort of generating huge amounts of jobs and you know look looking at some of those sort of older uh industries so sort of heavy industries and repurposing them for building renewable energy generation it's just such a it's such a huge undertaking and it could be a new industrial revolution and i feel like this is a, a step back yeah, because I'm... so the, sorry. The, the last thing, um, UK steel needs to survive into because the the way in which steel is produced is always going to produce pollution, but the way in which it's produced in the UK is far cleaner than in lots of other countries. And so all that we would do if the UK steel industry closed down in terms of purely in terms of emissions, forgetting about the, the huge economic impacts on those communities like Portalba and so on, would be to increase emissions. The leaders of UK Steel say we can already we can already procure that on the international markets anyway. We can already get high grade, high quality coal from a number of reliable sources. So that argument doesn't make sense. The jobs argument doesn't particularly make sense because that part of the country is lower lower than average unemployment for the country, which I was surprised at. I was thinking it was going to have quite high unemployment rate just because that sort of that part of the country does in general, but yeah. Oakland doesn't. It's got very low unemployment. It just seems to be a case of politicians wanting to look sort of modern and progressive and taking climate change seriously and you know oh look here's an electric car charging point and then not taking action you know i'm pretty certain this powerpoint's not getting built like the pressure it's the pressure it's a, on this it's a, you said a powerpoint i'm pretty Did sure I? the powerpoint yeah 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 th- this powerpoint i bet <laughs> there are powerpoints i bet been... there are powerpoints but it remember it's it's a mine rather than a power plant yeah sorry yeah that is an important point because it's obviously healthy steel but yeah this power plant is uh, Order. sorry this mine is is not getting made i i can't see it happening like the pressure on the government is is huge and there's already talk that, that, that they're climbing down which is good because 10 years ago probably five years ago that wouldn't happen but now because it's it's also the, the businesses that are putting the pressure on it it matters especially to conservative government when it when it you know when it, we're talking about businesses here so i, I listened to a podcast recently on an organization called uh, client earth which is basically set up by a few people one of whom is brian eno the uh, hmm. famous music producer. Basically, they are a group of about over a hundred, over a hundred now uh, lawyers who have left the world of traditional law, like I guess you could say, and now work for this organisation whose whose sole aim is to protect the uh, planet. Hence the name Client Earth. 
So their client is the planet. They are doing absolutely incredible work. Like I'd really recommend just Googling them, having a look at them afterwards. But they, they uh, recently, one example they gave was about in Poland, the government was, was trying to open a new power plant that was, uh, I can't remember, it was definitely non-renewable though. And then what they did, because they're lawyers and they're clever, they basically bought shares in the company for a pound. Then they were able to put forward a lawsuit against the government and the organization saying you're harming my investment because building non-renewable energy sources is not good in the long term and is actually going to harm my investment so you you can't do that and they won wow yeah yeah so incredible organization and they they were actually getting ready to prime something i think for for this cumbrian coal mine but they don't i don't think they think it's even going to get to that stage so that's good but it's just amazing that in you know look climate change is, is is pretty grim to talk about generally because there's a hell of a lot of work to do and we're running out of time it, we need to to act on it but um yeah stuff like that really shows how far we've come and i i often see like china getting quite a lot of stick for climate change as well and i think that's probably because they are one of the biggest producers of of, of carbon emissions and uh because of their standing in the west obviously but actually, they're doing an awful, awful lot to to really start to change how they deal with their, with climate change. So, you know, I just think that's an important point because, you know, we, we talk about America needing to be on board, but we absolutely need China to be, and they are, which is good. So, yeah, I think that's that's my kind of final point on it. Um, it's, in, it's important, I think, just to go in and play a bit of devil's advocate, really. It's very easy to be cynical when we look at the present government, the, the fourth term Conservative administration, when they came into power as the coalition, they said it was going to be the, the greenest government ever. But you've got to look at the political parties across the spectrum now. Boris Johnson has taken it seriously. Whatever slant you take away from it, he removed one of his most loyalist cabinet ministers, which he relies on heavily, uh, in Alok Sharma, from the Business and Energy and Industrial Strategy Secretary, uh, and moved him to the president of the 2020 21 United Nations Climate Change Conference in November of this year, he has put one of his, not probably one of the most starriest, most flashiest ministers, but he put someone that he thought was very capable, was given a very public forum during the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. His government has also signed up and had that commitment to put a £12 billion investment in the carbon neutrality by 2050. And also his partner as well, Carrie, Carrie Simons, she worked for uh, like a public relations role for climate change and environmental charity. So I think he is ev- heavily influenced to make these changes and abide by these regulations. And he's also got that 10-point plan for the UK. So I think it's, it's important in that respect that the government is doing things and it does recognise those things. And also, unlike in America, all of the political parties are signed up to climate change as an agenda. All the political parties do subscribe to it. They don't deny it. All the main political parties, I should say. I'm not on about yeah, the, fr- yeah. the, the fruitcakes in uh, UKIP, Reform UK Party or Brexit Party, whatever you want to call them. But if you look at also how climate change has had that effect on politicians. Um, Ed Miliband, when he was the Energy and Climate Change Secretary uh, under Gordon Brown's administration, he in, he brought in the Climate Change Act of 2008. He saw that through Parliament at the end of 2008. And also at the end of 2009, he represented the UK at the Copenhagen Climate Change Conference. 
and he got a, won a lot of support amongst young people and amongst young Labour members. I know the membership was a lot smaller back then, but he, he won a lot of plaudits. And less than a year after that, he was Labour leader. So it, it, climate change has always been, I think, on the agenda in that respect, closer to home. I think it's, it's interesting to look at now with the Green Party and how they're polling. Was it last week? Was it they had 8%? Yeah, big surge. I think they're ahead of the Lib Dems. Yeah, by 1%, margin yeah. of error and all that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's important to, to understand where is that poll coming from. Mm. You see a lot of the, the far left and the hard left who cynically just say that, well, it's Keir Starmer's performance as leader that so dissatisfied the v- Labour voting base, the young, socially liberal, care about more of the environmental issues. It's that vote that's going to the Greens automatically. But the problem is we can't know because there's no local election since spring of 2019. Mm. I know it feels like a lifetime away now. Mm. because a lot has happened well we don't know where that polling number is coming from is it is it dissatisfies conservative voters that want to who care more about the environment is it liberal democrat voters it's not so black and white to say oh it's because of Keir Starmer's performance that Mm. vote that voter base is going over to Labour we've seen rises in the green vote before the 2015 election uh the 2017 election it went down considerably and then at the 29 May, the May 2019 elections, locally and in the European elections, the vote went up and they had a record amount of councils elected in, in early May of 2019. European elections, one of their, their, their second best performance. I think I voted, I voted green in the European, I think. And I voted green actually, in the local. It, I voted green yeah. locally. So It actually it, matters, doesn't it? It actually counts. Yeah, it does. And, it, and But we saw the... December 2019 general election, the vote didn't go anywhere. Do you think that's because people know there was no point because first past the post, they're just not going to get, it's not going to matter? The evidence would suggest that those voters, it's 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 weird, isn't it? Whose vote is it really? Is it the Labour vote, the dissatisfied Labour voter, Liberal Democrat voter who lends their mm-hmm. vote to the Green or is it the Green voter that lends their votes to Labour <laughs> for the best chance of stopping Conservative government being elected? It's, it's just, it is just very difficult to say how that is having an effect but there there isn't a need for the green party to exist in spain there isn't a green party really there are fringe parties that that are green that get like a thousand votes in the election the other parties have especially socialist party under pedro sanchez have taken that agenda and and are serious about it you know spain created the first the first minister in the world for a transitional ecology and one of the reasons why they're able why there isn't a a a resurgence in in green parties like we see in germany like we see like we saw in austria i think is because it's represented and labor and the tories risk uh risk votes the the less of a stance they take on it because at the moment with this coal mine it looks like nobody wants to tell the local population no you're not going to get those jobs you know, because there's a real case of yimbyism. Yes, in my backyard, there's a lot of support for it locally. So the councillors who are on low, you know, low turnouts, they don't want to be turfed out. They're in support of it. The MP is in support of it as well, despite the Conservative machine as a whole probably being against it, and the Labour Party machine as a whole being against it. And I just think that a Green Council wouldn't allow it, and a Green MP wouldn't be in favour for it. Another political party that was a fringe party that had high polling numbers, well, not even Ooh, high I polling know. numbers. I know what's coming. David Cameron was so terrified of Douglas Carswell leaving the Conservative Party that he offered a, a referendum, which was a, had vast implications for the, for the country and has had vast implications for the country. So UKIP are a similar party in that vein to the Greens. 
completely different issues I appreciate, but if the Greens can be that force for good of being that influencing force, yes, they're not really, those voters aren't really Green voters. They're disgruntled voters from multiple different parties, progressive and conservative, who want to give their opinion, for, put force their opinion. And if they do well in the May elections, and if they do well and Labour suffer, for example, because of the Greens, then Labour and Keir, the Labour Party and Keir Starmer are going to have to react to that vote. So yep. I think that's that's the way that I'm seeing that Green Party surge. I'm not, you know, businesses go to where the money is, and political parties will go to where the votes are, provided they don't have to adopt policy positions that offend the membership or you know that cross ideological red lines for them. On a final point, the party that's going to suffer the most at the hands of a, a Green surge and is will be the Liberal Democrats. They are really suffering at the moment in the polls. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be there. Well, their sixth or seventh or eighth Judgment Day at the polls this time. And we all know who benefits from a weaker. Liberal Democrat Party, don't we? Mm. Climate, <laughs> climate, climate crisis, point. climate change, solved. Next, sorted. <laughs> exactly. Why don't they just ask us for the solutions to these yeah. things, guys? Absolutely. Alex, what have you got for us this uh, this fortnight, mate? Yeah, so I wanted to wanted to discuss the independence agenda for the the disunited kingdom. Are we a disunited kingdom, really? Are we splintering off as as an island? Because obviously the SNP political juggernaut certainly north of the border. They can they be stopped? I don't think they can. Labour are a mess. The Scottish Tories well and truly on the back foot that now that Ruth Davidson has taken a back seat. Adam Price at the weekend said on Andrew on the Andrew Marr show said the independence question and the the polling in Wales is perhaps where where it was in Scotland ten years ago. Is that are we going to be in a situation in about another decade where the majority of those living in Wales will want a referendum to leave the United Kingdom if Scotland haven't already left already. And there's also the, the, the huge questions about a united island, the folly of Brexit, what has been the result for Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and the border, and the, the Boris's Brexit deal has been a mistake, you could say, in terms of the border. And obviously May's deal was thrown out, which uh, was a better deal for the, for the backstop, as it was called. Hmm. I think that's what I want to discuss with you is... What is independence looking like across the islands? Is it a foregone conclusion? Is it inevitable now? Mm. The person who has the last say is Boris Johnson. And Boris Johnson isn't going to give you anybody else a referendum unless he knows he's going to win. I've, I've got some polling data up. In Northern Ireland, in January this year, 47% said no, they wouldn't want a United Ireland. 42% said yes, and undecided 11 so that's a lead for of five percent for no. In January 2013, it wasn't a lead of five percent for no. It was a lead of 48 percent. That is absolutely staggering to go from almost a 50 percent lead to a five percent lead from 2013 to 2021 is bonkers. Scottish independence polling. There is a lead in every single poll since January last year. There was one done fourth to the ninth of Feb this year. 47 yes. 42 no, undecided 10. It's a lead of five. Sorry, I know there's loads of numbers. Wales, uh, should Wales be an independent country? Was the question asked at the end of January this year, 23% said yes. One in, almost one in four. Half of the people said no. And 25% were undecided. 25% undecided. Like, that's mad. This could be where the, the winds of change are blowing. Independence is becoming more popular. But yeah, in the lead in Scotland, comfortably and consistently, and 
momentum is fast changing in Northern Ireland and momentum is changing in, in Wales as well. The headline is, it's only going one way. For me, Scotland's the big one. They're going to romp it with a big majority this year. How on earth you stop that train? I don't know. Obviously, Johnson's going to say no. And the problem is you can't just keep putting it off. Because the more you put it off, the stronger the feeling gets. and The resentment grows. and Yeah. The more you say, oh, it's a once-in-a-generation thing. Yeah, all right, you can, might get away with that this term, this government. But if you get in next time, guess what? It's almost the new generation then. You can't use that as an excuse anymore. So some... It's also very difficult to swallow to have an Etonian English Conservative yeah. Prime Minister telling you, no, you're not allowed to have another referendum. Well, who mm. the who order are you? Independence isn't something to be asked for politely, is it? It's it's something which is to be demanded. All he has done for for the union since he came in is change his title, official title, to Prime Minister of something something in the union. You know, just added and the union on the end, as if like done. Scotland, yeah. Scotland is saved. Um, so what I think you're going to see is that what the, the parties are going to have to do. I think, I think, and I think both are doing this or thinking about doing this. Is you're just talking about further devolution, and essentially, I think what I've heard Labour are considering is actually saying, well, we'll essentially make it the the federal states of the United Kingdom, in in which you you have Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and, and England as in a kind of American system, you know, where huge powers individually, but then still as a you kind of united as a country together. That I think that's the only way you can feasibly save the union in the next ten years. Otherwise, someone's leaving. Uh, most likely, Scotland. With these referendums and the, the the resentment on Scotland's part, I don't blame necessarily. I don't really blame the 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 Scots, Scotland, Wales. Well, Wales voted to leave, didn't they? Uh, well, mm. narrowly. And there's a considerable number of Welsh, uh, English people that live in Wales as well, which could stem the tide of things, really. And there are a number of Conservative MPs in Wales that are English, don't have any links to their Welsh constituencies, and still got in. I think that identity there is, is still strong, but is it as strong as Adam Price implied? Adam Price and Implied Cymru are saying? The SNP are a strange beast because I don't think they're, they're neither left or right in terms of political persuasion, I don't think. Whatever you say about them being more left, they, they picked up the baton where Labour dropped it years and years ago. They just sensed an opportunity there, really. What would you say to this? In the referendum, in 2014, the European Commissioner said Scotland would be thrown out of the EU and couldn't rejoin. Yet mm. the SNP used the EU as their one of their election strategies. Yet they would have been thrown out of the EU even if they'd left in 2014 pre-Brexit. So it's a, it's, a strange, it's a strange one, really. And the SNP voted against the deal that Johnson had brought in, the final trade deal, and Labour backed it, and most of the other parties backed it as well. But the SNP didn't back it. So by virtue, did they want to leave with no deal rather than a deal? So I do find there's some strange... I don't know, that their arguments don't always add up. I don't buy that they're all as saintly and godly as they like to come across. I can understand why a Scottish person would want to vote for them. I think, obviously, Brexit was very damaging. Um, it was a very selfish vote, by and large. And it was a vote for that England took to be... They voted for themselves knowingly to be poorer and have accepted this. 
and accepted this time and time again by voting overwhelmingly for the Brexit party in the European elections or electing subsequent Tory governments since that referendum. Kieran, you're you're uh, you're somebody who supports Wales in <laughs> the rugby. You were born in Surrey. Do you know what's funny? Grew, I did, grew um... up in Chapel on the Frith. Yeah, I I um I did a I did it one of those G, uh, DNA tests three years ago. Um, it it was fairly inconclusive then, but now I went back on last night and it's um basically the more people that do the tests, the more they can break down the, the genome more and get more precise. To find the so Welsh gene, on. is this? Yeah, well, well, I went back on yesterday and uh, had a look for the first time in a couple of years, and it's not good. Like I think I'm. I'm 37% English, 31% Scottish, and uh, then like 18% Welsh, so I'm actually more, more, Scot- more Scottish than Welsh. I presume when Welsh. you say it's not a good thing, you don't mean it's bad to be Scottish, you mean it's not a good thing for your claim to support Wales. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, 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 I love the Scots, yeah. But I, um, I, I, I don't get it. There's, there's something, there's something really uh, common, I find, with um english people if if they are half welsh or scottish or irish or they have a, an irish grandmother or scottish grandmother or whatever then suddenly they have to support them in the rugby i don't get it i, I, I don't mm. get it i mean you support whoever on earth you want it doesn't upset me but i just don't i don't understand if you've not lived there you I don't know, but that's up for people to to feel whatever identity they want to feel. But maybe it's just because yeah. I can't imagine feeling the same. I don't know about you guys in terms of whether you feel British, English. I mean, Kieran, whether you feel Welsh, but like w- what nationality you would? I would never say? say English. That has negative connotations. I think I would never say that. I'd never tick that box. I, s- I sort of want to to put put those negative connotations to one side in terms of in insofar as it was nobody's going to say oh well therefore you must think x y and z just in terms of what you feel and maybe those negative connotations affect what you feel but there's going to be no negative consequences consequences nobody's going to say oh you must be a member of the edl or whatever like what would you put you know what do you feel primarily i'm from i'm british but i'm from england i would say I would never cop out. I would never say I would never say that I am English because I'm from the United Kingdom. I mean, I'd say that um, my my DNA clearly shows, and I have a bit of Irish as well. So I'd be like, well, you know, DNA is there. If you add up my Welsh and Scottish blood, I'm actually more Celtic than I am English. So I am British. Uh, Problematic. that's ge- genetic. I, I'm on. A, I'm on about identity here because because I I oh. I've, <laughs> think we probably agree that you don't have to be born in Britain to be British. It's not based on blood and soil and this sort of weird right wing logic. Are you sort of finding it difficult to answer, Kieran, because you don't feel um, Welsh but you support them in the rugby? Do you just like the colour well, red? Well, see, if you're talking about culturally, though, but then even more, that's my argument that I'm definitely not English. I'm because culturally, like a huge part of my culture is sport, and and I support Wales. So, yeah, culturally, I don't feel English. But but then again, all. but then again, you support the Seattle Seahawks and Oxford United. Uh, Alex, I hope this isn't too too personal. Question a question. Not at all. I know what's coming, but not at all. Okay. <laughs> So this is kind of in the bag for if anyone ever says, oh, who wants to hear what three white guys have to say? And I can say, well, uh, <coughs> actually, <coughs> but do you feel do you feel Iranian at all? Like your dad's Iranian. 
I'm um, saying that more for the listeners' benefits. You obviously know your dad's from Iran. I hope so, anyway. <laughs> the the thing is with that is I think I do identify myself as British. Hmm. I've only ever met two of my Iranian relatives. No, three of my, I should say, three of my Iranian relatives throughout the, throughout the course of my life. It's one that, uh, yeah, I do recognise that I am, half, I am half Iranian, but I would never say that. And I do have some, know of and do, like, cultural references like I know the food and if if Iran's playing at the World Cup, I, th- I suppose it is a novelty where I get a bit sentimental. That was my dad's country playing yeah. playing in the World Cup, and they nearly beat they nearly beat Portugal. That was exciting. I was gutted for them. Do we, I think we watched it together. We did. We did. Mm. So they had that they had that the crazy guy with the the rolling over throw in. I suppose in all seriousness, I am proud of being British because of what that means. Because I know that the Iranian state and the Iranian regi- regime doesn't give the same amount of freedoms as it does to the to the British. You can't speak as much as you want to. I mean, if you were in Iran, to have a comparison, if you were Kurdish and you wanted to separate from Iran, uh, as Nicola Sturgeon would want to do, they would they would um, send the military in and they would crush their opposition in that form. So there is a privilege in the sense that I know what the benefits of being British and I know what the benefits that gives me as opposed to what my cousin might feel who lives in New Zealand and the the struggles that he gets, he's not allowed to go into certain countries, even though he's a full English speaker, he has a job, he's educated, uh, he's, he's banned from certain countries. And I know that Iran does have those negative connotations to it, because it is like, oh, mm. God, Iran, you know, those crazy people who bang their heads on their hands going, Allah, Allah, like that. So, you know, I think it brings up that feeling of fear, doesn't it? It's that crazy country in the Middle East that hates America and hates, uh, wants to wipe Israel off the face of the face of the earth but there's a values thing at the heart of your identity in yeah, terms of being british over iranian i suppose yeah i mean it's not all you know uh swarthy features and stubble and uh nice nice olive skin in your town well <laughs> i identify more as english than british i have the same sort of feeling when i see you know english defense league people appropriating the flag for their own ends it's not theirs nothing gives them the right to own it you know um mm. there are there are some problematic things about England's past and about its present and about its present and things and I, I don't know if I necessarily feel pride in the same way I think I'm far I think I'm more self-deprecating about us as a country I, I like our eccentricities I like how we're just a little bit weird but I, I a little bit we're a little bit um, Hanford Parish Council. We're a little bit Hanford, but yeah, exactly. We're a little bit Hanford Parish Council. I don't feel Welsh in the slightest. I don't feel Scottish in the slightest. And I know that Brit- feeling British isn't just a well. You add one plus one plus one one together, and then you end up equals Britain. Whenever I travel to Scotland, whenever I travel to Wales, it feels like I'm going to a different country. Hmm. It, wow, that's pretty interesting. See, for me, it feels like same country. I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because. Um, when I was growing up, we'd go on holiday to, to Wales, so that's what it was built up as. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's to do with just how the land looks, but it it feels it feels different. Um, I've only been to Northern Ireland once, and that felt like a, a different country. M- my opinions on independence are, are there are arguments for and against it. But I find it profoundly boring when it comes back to it's all related to English colonialism because uh, I feel like well then you don't know how Scotland became part of the Union. Um, and played a full part in the empire. And I mean, how far back do you want to go for Wales? The reason why Wales isn't isn't on the 
the Union flag is because at the time of the creation of the flag, it was a province of England. <laughs> legally, it was a yeah. Legally, it was a province of England, so that's why it's not on the Union flag. The Union Jack would be sick if you just stuck a dragon on it. I am, I am pro dragon. dragon yeah, dragons make all flags look better. How many of those Welsh people asked about independence? Says, all right, we'll change the flag. We'll put a dragon on front and centre, rugby ball under its arm. Would you then be in favour of remaining in the UK? Landslide, landslide. Wales will never leave. <laughs> well, I suppose it's, it's, it's just as a general point. I mean, you don't need to throw this in the the podcast, but. Isn't when don't you find it irritating when I find it somewhat irritating when you've got like um people wearing like like the kilts and things like that and you go to Wales and they're banging on about like how to pronounce how to say their names and speaking this language and things like this. So if you want to call yourself Sean, it's spelt differently. If you want to spell if you want to call yourself Thomas, it's spelt differently. What? If you go to if you go to England and you have that cultural identity of Englishness and uh, St George's Day and things like that. It's deemed as racist. It's deemed as inappropriate. It's deemed as uh, has loads of right. has loads of theories about it just being like not not completely right as a good thing. And whereas when it's Wales and it's St David's Day, it's Ireland and St Patrick's Day, and I don't even know what Scotland is. St Andrews. St Andrews Day. That was it. So is it is it isn't there isn't there isn't there form of national pride and all their traditions isn't that slightly nationalistic and wrong i i was worried when you were saying alex like don't you find it annoying when people wear kilts and these things and i was like order where on earth is this going i do wish that people could enjoy themselves more in terms of things that are culturally english i think you should be able to enjoy yourself and express your cultures however you want yeah i think um my uh, it's been a really interesting discussion this like i've really enjoyed it because I don't think we planned it to go on this kind of route about culture and and how we define ourselves. So it's it's been nice to listen to, to be honest. Like it's, it's nice that it's just kind of naturally happened, and I've enjoyed listening to both points. I can't um, I can't remember what the what the original thing was about. Was it about it's whether about devolution, devolution we? and yeah. Actually, I'd I'd say actually a lot of England's problem is that it has no identity. That's why it's in this weird situation it's in this weird flux of wanting to have brexit and things like this because it's got no identity the people who are who are claiming the identity the loudest are the, the people who we least want to associate with in terms of yeah you know the hooligans and, and and things like that and i guess if if i do i want england to be independent no not really i'm quite apathetic towards it but if if i felt as strongly scottish as i do english and obviously I lean the way that I lean in terms of being very pro-European and on the left, would I vote for the SNP? Possibly. I, I don't know. I have zero preference in terms of whether or not the union stays together. I think it's up to the populations of the of the respective countries. I think federalism seems like a pragmatic thing and whether it's an end in itself or whether it's a step to something else. I really don't know, but I don't think any government can truly say it's it's a free and, and liberal democracy whilst imposing its will of unity against self-determination. I guess for, for me, it comes it, it could come down to if you had a, a referendum, what percentage would need to vote to leave? Because if you had five million vote one way and five million and one vote the other way, is that enough? Or do you need a supermajority? I really don't know. I'd rather have that conversation than a conversation of, 
which is essentially Scotland repeatedly voting for separatist politicians, and they're going to do it again. And the UK and de facto England saying, you're not having it. I, d- mm. I don't think that's a productive conversation. Mm. What Scotland are doing, uh, taking that as one as the example, because they're one of the most devolved powers. Like that's a country that I kind of think, oh, I'd quite like to live there. Like yeah. bringing in things like free tampons for for women, prescriptions are free. It's progressive stuff. It's stuff that I'm like, yeah, I want to be part of that. Why? Like, can you blame them? And yeah. it, it's amazing to see these small countries, countries, and then you look at Scandinavia, and they're clearly look, seems like they're going for that kind of style in terms of what they're doing and fair play to them makes sense and so regardless of what the centralized government does in westminster when you've got a country being as progressive as that mm. it's hard to counter that really you unless you do you it. can't really argue against against it from a moral point of view in or in terms of a pragmatic point of view either can you if it, who doesn't want free prescriptions I know. yeah um, <laughs> it's just it is yeah it's an, i i know exactly what you mean in terms of the, the future the future of, of a Scandinavian-style welfare system is mm. extremely appealing. And, uh, you know, if if you were living on the border between England and Scotland and Scotland broke away and, and truly ran with it, and that's a big if because it could also be quite appealing to sort of undercut England. But it, if the Nordic model is the way to go, I can completely see it luring, you know, a lot of young professionals to Edinburgh. We should probably wrap it up there. Before we do, Kieran, have you got a couple of things to say about social media? Yeah, so just to say, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Centralist Dads. If you want to leave a comment as well and tell us what you'd like us to talk about, let us know. We do not mind that at all. We're happy to be led by you guys. And also, if you, whatever podcast streaming service you listen to, iTunes, Spotify, i'm not gonna list them all i'll be here all night but please just give us a like give us a review five stars uh, or, or whatever you feel we're five aware. uh five um, five stars and leave five stars five <coughs> five and um yeah just 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 uh leave a review and as long as it's nice or be honest we, we can take criticism i think so yeah that, per- that's personally that's I, I would write you can leave us like a, a scathing review provided that you give us five stars that I, I will accept that. That would be that would be absolutely fine. I guess I know we didn't really stick to the coal mine strictly, and we ended up talking about climate change. Bill, that was you know a nice conversation to have, and likewise with devolution, I guess we ended up talking more about identity, and that that was that was interesting because yeah, we haven't we haven't had that conversation before, sort of the three of us. I feel like we opened lots of doors that we could dive down, but we'll have to leave that until another day. So it is goodbye from me in Valencia in Spain. It's goodbye from Alex in Newcastle under line. Bye-bye. And it's goodbye from Kieran in Sambach uh, near Hanforth. Yeah. Au revoir. Alex, um, what have you got for us, mate? What do I have? What have you got for us this <laughs> week? What does he have? Devolution. He's gonna uh, Devolution. he's gonna make Scotland independent. Let's start that again. Sorry, Adam. Go again. No worries. It's all right. That's this is going at the end, by the way.